Good evening. Senator Chuck Schumer and State Attorney General Tish James go to pot and promise more ganja is on the way. A May Day weekend and a Lower East Side resident says he's being smeared by the New York City Parks Department. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. Several protesters were killed on Sunday after Myanmar's security forces opened fire on some of the biggest protests against military rule in days, which organizers said would shake the world with the voice of Myanmar's people's unity. News agencies reported streams of demonstrators led by Buddhist monks made their way through cities and towns across the country, including the commercial hub of Yangon and the second city of Mandalay, where two people were shot and killed. The protests began with the February 1st ouster of the elected government led by Nobel laureate Aung San Suu Kyi. In some places, civilians with crude weapons have battled security forces, while in central areas, military and government facilities that have been secure for generations have been hit by rocket attacks and a wave of small unexplained blasts. Sushi, 75, has been detained since the coup along with many other members of her party. And in more news, the United States today denied a report by Iran state television. The arch foes had reached a prisoner swap deal in exchange for the release of $7 billion in frozen Iranian oil funds under U.S. sanctions in other countries. Iranian state television said on Sunday, Tehran would free four Americans accused of spying in exchange for four Iranians held in the United States and the release of the frozen Iranian funds. The U.S. government denied that an agreement had been reached. Iran and world powers are holding talks to revive the 2015 nuclear accord that Washington abandoned three years ago and reimposed sanctions on Tehran. In Washington, State Department spokesperson Ned Price said reports that a prisoner SWAT deal have been reached are not true. Ron Klain, White House Chief of State, a Chief of Staff, also denied the report. Unfortunately, that report is untrue, he said. There is no agreement to release these four Americans. That's what he told CBS's Face the Nation this morning. As the city begins to reopen, Senator Chuck Schumer is calling on the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, to resume its 24-7 subway service immediately. For the first months, for the first several months of the pandemic, the agency shut down the trains from 1 to 5 every morning so trains could be cleaned and disinfected. That's been cut down from 2 to 4 a.m. In addition, Schumer is calling on the MTA to hire more workers in order to keep the subway system adequately cleaned as it returns to full service. Schumer says the recently secured $14.5 billion in funding for the MTA and Long Island Railroad could be used to hire these workers. Ultimately, however, only Governor Andrew Cuomo has the authority over the MTA. But it's not just Late-night workers and extended bar time that's been on Senator Schumer's plate this weekend. On Saturday, the Senate Majority Leader spoke at the annual New York City Cannabis Parade and Rally in Union Square Park, touting New York's legalization of up to five pounds of marijuana in your home, three ounces in your pocket, and six pot plants in your garden. The legalization in New York is the most ambitious in the country. In the critical areas of racial and economic justice, it sets new standards. It makes real, tangible impacts. Right now, somewhere in this city, hopeful entrepreneurs are gathering together, thinking up a future marijuana business that will provide jobs for New Yorkers and tax dollars to harmed communities. Let's call it cannabis. 
and for thousands of New Yorkers with marijuana arrests on their records, the steps we have taken will provide a new lease on life. So I want to hear a big, long New York round of applause for every single organizer who has pushed this through through the years. An exuberant New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, spoke through clouds of blue smoke wafting into the air from every direction. She says drug laws had a racist intent from the start. Listen, we all know that the war on drugs has for far too long been a war on poor people and people of color, right? And I have long advocated for the legalization of adult recreational use of cannabis because I believe it is a social and racial and a criminal justice issue. If you believe that it is a social and racial and a criminal justice issue, make some noise. In many states all across this country, recreational use has been legalized and arrests have plummeted by a large percentage. And they are our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our neighbors, and they're mostly men of color. And these young men are punished for this behavior that others seem to turn a blind eye to for people of other races and other socioeconomic statuses. And that's not right. James adds, New York still has a lot of work to do to fix the damage of decades of cannabis prohibition. And New York has indeed come a long way. We used to be the marijuana arrest capital of the world. I don't think you heard me. New York was once the marijuana arrest capital of the world. Woo! And so... If you believe in justice like I do, then those individuals who are most harmed by the war on drugs, that must be part of the new economy. They must be part of the new economy. And we must provide access to everyone, especially communities of color that have felt the impact of law enforcement in this country and in this city and in this state. And Senator Schumer echoed the calls for justice to the millions whose lives were destroyed by marijuana laws. These were young men and young women with dreams of their own, with promise, with potential, who had their lives ruined, ruined, simply because they happened to have a joint in their pocket. This over-criminalization of marijuana hurt individuals, but it hurt entire communities. Change has been urgently needed for so long. And that is why when you all asked me to stand with you, the organizers like Senator Ramos and Senator Biagi and many others, and Tish James and Harvey Epstein and Carolyn Maloney, I'm good, okay. A sentiment echoed by Attorney General James. And because individuals who obviously want to take opportunity, want to take advantage of this opportunity, can't just walk into a bank and ask for a loan. Right? Right. 
because cannabis on the federal level is still treated as a Schedule One drug under the Federal Controlled Substance Act. So banks will not issue loans to those looking for startup funding. It's unfortunate, but it's a federal issue, and we've got to focus on the federal government to ensure that they change the laws so that everyone can take advantage of this of this issue. New York is one of 15 states that have legalized recreational cannabis for adults, but although pot advocates in New York are happy legalization passed, especially a law meant to ensure equity in pot licenses and other regulations down the road, ganja is still illegal at the federal level. State Senator Jessica Ramos had this to say. We need him to commit as majority leader to be on the front lines of fighting to legalize cannabis at the federal level so that we can prosper, our communities can prosper, and we can show the rest of the country how it's done right here in New York. Thank you for everything the advocates did. This victory is yours. Thank you. And Ramos was referring to to uh, Senator Schumer's role in Washington. Schumer says he's got a legalization bill in Washington together with Oregon Democrat Ron Wyden and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. There's also a bill in the House, the Moore Act, that would free the weed to adult smokers. Schumer says it's time to end the racist federal laws. I was the first congressional leader of any party to come out in support of ending the federal prohibition on marijuana. And I am proud of that. And right now, with my colleague, Senator Booker and Senator Wyden, we're going to put forward an advanced comprehensive cannabis reform legislation that will not only turn the page on this sad chapter in American history, but undo the devastating consequences of these these discriminatory and often bigoted policies. In case some had forgotten, yesterday was May Day, or International Workers' Day, as the day has been known around the world since it began in the United States nearly 150 years ago. May Day rallies were held in Seattle and Portland, with cities cities that have seen sometimes violent confrontations between radical leftists and police. In Paris on Saturday, hooded black-clad demonstrators clashed with cops as thousands of people joined traditional May Day protests across France to demand social and economic justice and voice their opposition to government plans to change unemployment benefits. Police made 46 arrests in the capital, where garbage bins were set on fire and the windows of a bank branch were smashed. Trade unionists were joined by members of the Yellow Vest movement, which triggered a wave of anti-government protests three years ago, and by workers from sectors hit hard by pandemic restrictions such as the culture areas in new york may day was uh was celebrated by a large group of revelers from the labor movement and their radical supporters in union square park even as top liberal capitalist politicians were speaking out for legal marijuana a few feet away it wasn't lost on workers world party head monica moorhead well i'm for legalization because for so many decades young black people were being discriminated in terms of the sentencing laws for people to to use marijuana if they want, you know, um, especially if it's for medication, for medical marijuana, or for recreation. What's the difference between that and alcohol? <laughs> you know? And as Monica Moorhead of the Workers' World Party speaking yesterday at Union Square Park. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo.
New York State's COVID-19 positivity rate dropped below 1.5% for the first time since October on Saturday. State officials recorded 2,849 positive cases out of 191,257 tests. Cuomo's office said bringing the seven-day average positivity to 1.84%, the lowest rate since November 6th. Just 33 people died from the virus on Saturday as hospitalizations dropped to 2,535, the lowest number since November 20th and 33% less than two weeks ago. New York City's seven-day positivity rate stood at 1.78% on Saturday, according to state figures, the fifth lowest among New York's 10 regions. The state's highest COVID-19 rates are in western New York. Meanwhile, dozens of city workers rallied Saturday at City Hall to protest what they call a premature effort to make them return to work in physical offices on Monday. Workers from a range of city agencies blasted as unsafe Mayor Bill de Blasio's orders for 80,000 of them to return to their office this coming week. Workers and their supporters, some joined by their children, held signs and cheered colleagues and members of city government unions. One boy held a sign saying, support my mom. The city says it spent $206 million in a months-long painstaking effort to prepare for municipal workers to safely return to their physical workplaces. About 220,000 city workers have been working in physical offices or in the field during the pandemic. The 80,000 due to return on Monday have been working remotely from home. But workers say they still feel unsafe in offices where they have no choice but to share close quarters with colleagues. A reporter with the chief leader newspaper, Bob Henley, says workers remember the time after 9-11 when first responders were lied to by the government and told they were safe, only to find out later of the hidden dangers at the World Trade Center site. There's no uniformity in terms of what's happening. The other issues here are that we have uh, the public advocate, Jumani Williams and Senator Ramos, spoke at a rally yesterday with city workers who are concerned that there hasn't been enough transparency about the process and it's being rushed because the reality is when it comes to the city workforce, less than half EMTs have gotten vaccinated. The firefighters are on 50 percent. According to Henry Garrido, around 35 percent of their workforce has been vaccinated. And he suggests in his comments to the chief that 60 percent is what the CDC suggests. So what we have here is the appearance of the de Blasio administration pushing the envelope on behalf of real estate interests, which want to see foot traffic increase because so much of the rent, particularly around lower Manhattan and other places where the city's municipal buildings in the outer boroughs are part of the commercial district, they want to see foot traffic return. So they're kind of using the civil service municipal workforce as the folks they want to see prime the pump. What should New Yorkers expect on Monday? Are we going to see a super spreader event in City Hall? The problem is that the government has suffered a tremendous amount of credibility damage, and this has been going on for a long time. What is not lost on people that have been around the civil service is the lessons some 20-odd years ago from 9-11, when thousands and thousands of first responders and essential workers came to ground zero or even had to work in and around lower Manhattan, western Brooklyn, and we're told by the EPA that the air was safe to breathe. And we know now from Inspector General report that was issued a few years later that the EPA willfully suppressed information related to how contaminated the air was, particularly asbestos. And as a consequence, we now have as many, if not more people who have died from the occupational exposure from working in and around the World Trade Center and some 50,000 people dealing with long-term health consequences that are enrolled with the World Trade Center health program. What does this have to do with tomorrow's reopening? Wall Street was pushed to be reopened. 
when the inspector general looked at what was driving the decision by the Bush administration to make that decision, it was to open Wall Street. And the thought was, we can't keep lower Manhattan closed. Otherwise, it sends a signal to the global markets that New York and America is not back for business. I think there's a direct connection. Between opening Wall Street and bringing back... Similar situation where it's all about risk assessment. And so the powers that be that so often have rented our politics think people haven't had enough time at home and that according to the way they look at things, the risk threat matrix favors people returning to work. People have to make an individual judgment based on a whole host of things that depends very much on their unique circumstance. You may be someone who is not choosing to get vaccinated because you're in the process of getting pregnant. You could be an individual who is in the civil service working remotely and the schools don't yet have in-person instruction universally, so you have a childcare problem. You may have a situation where an individual in your household, an older person, needs to be cared for because they subsequently got sick during coronavirus. Now, the mayor has instructed city agencies to be sensitive to these issues, but the point is by rushing this to a May 3rd deadline, when the mayor himself has said he expects to get to 5 million people by June, folks are wondering why not wait until you get to that point when you have vaccination more universal. Bob Henley is a reporter with the Chief Leader newspaper. And on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, opponents of the East Side Coastal Resiliency Plan have filed an appeal in their lawsuit to block the impaddled mega project. The plaintiffs include more than 20 community organizations, including the Ad Hoc East River Park Action and 100 local residents who use East River Park. The suit was filed this week by activist attorney Arthur Schwartz, who is the Village Democratic district leader and also a candidate for city council in the third district. The appeal seeks an injunction against the $1.45 billion project and to nullify the city council vote in November 2019 that approved the plan. The case is built on the so-called public trust doctrine, or as the appeal puts it, Parkland is impressed with a public trust requiring legislative approval before it can be alienated or used for an extended period for non-park purposes. The suit argues the resiliency plan would essentially turn the 2.4-mile-long park into a massive seawall, which is not a park use. Local state lawmakers, including State Senator Brad Hoylman and Harvey Epstein, have publicly stated that they think the project needs an approval from the state legislature to move forward. And claims of using the memory of 9-11 for commercial purposes are at the heart of a festering dispute on the Lower East Side over a rock concert in a park. The story that's been rocking the 10-acre urban refuge on the Lower East Side, known as Tompkins Square Park, is a concert by a punk rock promoter that attracted 2,000 attendees on April 24th and has prompted the Parks Department to pull eight live event permits previously approved for a local community newspaper known as The Shadow that's been promoting live events in the park since 2006. The Parks Department letter also bans the group from getting permits for the next two years. WBAI has acquired copies of the Parks Department letter canceling the permits and copies of the special event permit requests for the April 24th program. The city claims the organizers violated permit rules of no more than 100 people in attendance and violated the mayor's order banning events over 200 people due to the COVID pandemic. But organizer Chris Flash, editor of The Shadow, says the attack is political, adding it's never been the permit holder's job to enforce the law at a free public event. In short, the Parks Department has revoked all permits, all remaining permits that we filed for Tompkins Square Park for special events for 2021 based on their misapplication of the rules and the expectation that we were going to enforce police policy 
in the park during our event on April 24th. In addition, the Parks Department is responsible for a smear campaign whereby it's alleged that we pretended that our event on April 24th was going to be a 9-11 memorial when we never applied for such an event for April 24th based on their allegation that we misrepresented the purpose of our event and we also did not correctly give the exact number of attendees, which is impossible when you're filing six to 12 months in advance, that we lied on our application and therefore all of our shows for the rest of the year should be revoked. So you don't actually believe that's the reason? I've been peripherally involved in Tomka Square shows prior to 2006. Since 2006, I've been directly involved as the main organizer of events in Tomka Square Park, um, getting permits with the police department, the parks department, and every other infrastructural uh, requirement to put on successful political rallies and events in the park. And during that time, we've encountered resistance from certain members of the parks department. Um, only occasionally have we had to get attorneys involved to make them realize or to make them admit that they cannot deny us shows in the park. We have a constitutional right, a legal right. We follow all the rules. They have no grounds by which to deny us shows in the park. However, certain people in the parks department have taken, have, have let's say, broken the law and violated uh, city policy to help smear us, to engage in a smear campaign against us uh, with the April 24th show. Well, that's strong. Uh, that's a strong word, smear campaign. Is there anybody you have in mind who's been doing that? WPIX has a website. They publish a report that a, quote, spokesperson with the Parks Department gave PIX an application that we allegedly filled out for September 11 for April 24th. To bolster that allegation, they publish a small excerpt of this alleged application which shows only three things the event name and the number of attendees it doesn't show the applicant name which would have to be me it doesn't show that it doesn't show the date of the event application it does not show the date of the event the gothamist picked that story up and then the gothamist initially said spokesperson then a follow-up story in the gothamist online identified her as crystal howard with the parks department that she gave them this phony application to bolster the false story that we had filed for a September 11 memorial. Why they seem to want to focus on an allegation of filing a September 11 memorial in April makes no sense to us, but it can only be to demean us, alleging that we tried to give our show legitimacy, or that we falsely described what our show was about. Who in their right minds would do a September 11 memorial in April? We would Isn't do it in your music September. sort of loud and obnoxious to a lot of people in the neighborhood? Actually, no. Well, we, we are in direct touch, with, uh, contact with the 9th Precinct. They report on average of one to five complaints about the shows when we do a show. The bottom line is that more people have responded and replied and reacted to our events in a positive manner and only a small minority of people have objected to the shows. We've spoken with the Community Affairs Office at the 9th Precinct. They verified that on average you get one to three complaints whenever there's a show. And again, compare that to the hundreds of people showing up at the event, compare that to the positive reviews and feedback we get online and in media after our events have taken place. We respect everyone's opinions. We even put leaflets on people's doors along 7th Street, which is close to this concert area, advising them if the sound is too loud, please let us know and we'll adjust it. We've never had one person come from 7th Street, any resident from 7th Street ever come to us to request that we modify the sound. Why do you think they're doing this? There's a political factor here. They don't like our politics, and certain people in the Parks Department don't want any shows to happen in the park at all. This is the same person we've been dealing with over the past 15 years. Her name is Claudia Pepe, P-E-P-E. -E. She acts as though this park is her park, and it's not her park. She doesn't live in this community, we do. We fought for this park on the streets, we fought for this park in the media, we fought for this park in the courts. 
It's our park as much as it's the city's park. We have a right to be here. We live here. This is our life. This is our community. This is where people gather. This is where we have our events. This is our Hamptons. We don't get to go to the Hamptons or take a vacation to Florida. This is our neighborhood. This is our community. This is our large garden. Chris Flash is editor of the Shadow newspaper and organizer of events in Tompkins Square Park for decades. He has the Parks Department, quote, illegally leaked false information and confidential personal information to WPIX-TV and The Gothamist in what he calls a deliberate smear on concert organizers, and he adds on himself personally. He says the concert was never a 9-11 event and the charge is entirely false. A Parks Department official, a black woman who supervises Tompkins Square Park and asked her name not be used, says she received no notice from her bosses there was even an event in Tompkins Square Park on that day hearing it for the first time from Chris Flash that morning but she adds that didn't stop her boss from trying to blame her for the event several witnesses claim uniformed police were on hand and made no move to stop the event even as the crowd swelled And that's some of the news for Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry and with help from Greenwich Village Park activist Sharon Willems. Our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>